Good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Karen Schofield Leka. My pronouns are per and per, short for person, and I'm the officiant today. Our opening words this morning are from Pico Iyer and introduce our theme for the month, which is wonder. Iyer says that the opposite of knowledge isn't always ignorance. It can be wonder or mystery, possibility. And in my life, I found it's the things I don't know that have lifted me up and pushed me forward much more than the things I do know. Welcome everyone for our multimedia platform, whether you're here in the hall, watching on Zoom, or catching the recording later. We are one community unified across time and space, gathering to affirm our values and commit to a better world. If you're on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Paul Baker, today's Zoom chat usher. And if you're here in the hall and would like an assistive listening device, please ask the sound team at the back. Visitors, if you are here in person, please stop at the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. And those of you visiting online, either now or later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo at maceot at ethicalsociety.org or to fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc slash westconnects. I'll now read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the Zoom chat. And folks joining in virtually while you're listening, you might also be finding a candle to light during our candle lighting segment. So let's see, where are we? So we have oh, lots of good mornings. Whoops, whoops, hang on a second. Oh, now see, you push the wrong thing and everything disappears. Bear with me one second. Okay, so we have Anne S. says good morning, and Robin says good morning from inside the West office. Perry Bider says good morning. I'm sorry not to make it into the hall, but glad to have the Zoom option on a slow starting day. Shirley Storms wishes good morning to Wes folks, and Sue Jacobson says good morning all at Wes or watching from home. Joe London says good morning all. I'm back from Hawaii, if not yet back on DC time. Paul welcomes everyone in the Zoom. Sue Smith says good morning everyone, as does Cynthia Goodman who wishes a good morning to all on this lovely day. And so we are indeed delighted to be gathered together in this time and space. Um, this morning, our opening music is created and performed by our interim music coordinator, Leah Thomas, uh, excuse me, Leah Morris, and it's Everyday Wonder. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Wes. It's a pleasure to, it's be, a pleasure to be with you. And I want to and invite, I want you, to invite to the you to sing the refrain of this song. Of this song which every, is day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, wonder, wonder. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, one. Something within, something within, and brings in the ocean, the ocean. Something within, when our windows into the shore. Something within. Still, still, still like a mountain, and we 
So welcome once again. Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. And if you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. And you can do it either here in person in the hall or remotely as you're about to see. Today's reader is Michelle Marsden, who is joining us remotely from Pensacola, Florida. So she recently moved down there, but did not want to give up Wes. And so we are delighted that she remains connected to our community, despite the, dis the distance. Michelle, when you are ready, we'd love to hear you read our statement of purpose. Good morning, Wes. I'm Michelle Marsden, she, her. Uh, we, the statement of purpose for Wes is one of the reasons I joined. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capabilities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice, justice crosses all borders. Thank you. And then. I invite those of you joining at home to go ahead and light yours and everyone here 
to join in the candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment. Build a brighter future for all. This morning's story is Who Loves the Dark by Sherry Philbaum. And Casey is going to share that with us this morning. Thank you, Karen. There once was a child who got lost in the woods. As night began to descend, the child became more and more frightened. I'm sure any of us would be frightened, too. Being lost in the woods is a pretty scary situation, and lost at dark when your senses are not as good. Eh, yikes. But what made this child even more frightened was that he had always been really afraid of the dark. He was more afraid of the dark than any of his friends or his siblings. He didn't know why he was more afraid. He only knew that when the sun went down, he was very glad to be inside his brightly lit house. When the sun was all the way down and the only light was a little tiny bit of light from the moon and the stars, the child got so frightened that all he could do was sit down and cry, which he did. Soon, he heard a voice say, what's all that racket? He looked down and saw a mole squinting up at him. I'm lost in the woods and it's dark and I'm afraid, he said. Well, said the mole, perhaps you could take your noisy crying farther down the path. I hate having to come out of my warm, comfortable, dark hole to tell people to be quiet. Then the child heard another voice. Go back into your hole, Mr. Mole. I'll take care of this. The child looked up in the direction of this newer voice, and in the darkness he could see two large glowing eyes looking down at him. Before he could scream, which was his first impulse, there was a flutter of wings and a creature flew down next to him and he could see that it was an owl. The owl said, please excuse Mr. Mole. He hates to come out of his nice dark hole for anything, to be honest. At this, the child burst out crying even harder than before, because as frightened as he was of the dark, having non-human animals speak to him was beyond his experience and a little frightening in and of itself. No need for that crying, said the owl. If you just give me your address, I can guide you home. Who knew that owls had GPS? With that, the child did indeed stop crying, partially out of relief that someone might be able to leave him home, and partially out of curiosity as to how an owl could find his home with or without the address. Deciding that he had little to lose, the child choked back his tears and replied that he would be very grateful to be guided home and gave the owl his address. I hope everyone here 
has their home address memorized in case an owl ever needs to guide you home. So the strange pair headed off into the dark forest in what the child truly hoped was the direction of his home. When his fear left him just a little bit, he started to look around. And though the light was dim, he began to notice his surroundings. At one point, he noticed a type of flower he had never seen before. And he slowed down a little bit, just so he could gaze at it. That, said the owl as they continued on, was an evening primrose. Did you know that there are some flowers that bloom only at night? There are moon flowers and night gladiolas too, flowers you would never see if you are never out at night. After a little while longer, the owl said, as if musing to herself, and of course there are animals too who love the nighttime and the darkness. Me, for example, I love the dark. In the daylight, the light hurts my eyes, so that's when I like to go to my tree and sleep. To this, the boy replied, well, I like the daytime. I like the hot sun at the beach. I can see to kick a ball or run around. When the dark isn't scary, it's just boring. Boring, you say, replied the owl. And she clearly had some opinions to express at this point. But just then, there was a fluttering and squeaking around their heads. It took the child just a few seconds to figure out what he was, what it was, and he shrieked, a bat! And he started flailing his arms to knock the creature away, shrieking the whole time. The shape backed away, hovering just out of reach, and said, excuse me, that's just my way of saying hello. Well, hello to you, Mr. Bat, said the owl. The child is out here lost in the forest, and I'm helping him find his way home. You're not hurt, are you? Well, said the bat, I probably have a bruise on my backside, but I think I'll live. But you're a bat, said the child, a creature of darkness. Weren't you trying to drink our blood? No, said the bat. But I've been eating lots of yummy insects who would have been biting you if I hadn't been around. Anyway, I couldn't help but overhearing what you said about darkness being boring. If you want to come a little bit out of your way, I can show something really exciting. My parents always told me to never go any place with strangers, said the child, who was already with a strange owl. Owl will vouch for me, said the bat. We've known each other for years and years. Owl agreed that Mr. Bat was indeed an upstanding citizen. So the group went off the path and traveled through the deepest forest for what seemed like just a few minutes until they came out onto a dark beach. Here we are, said the bat. The child gazed out the beach and lit, ooh, gazed out at the beach, which was lit very gently by moonlight and thought, this is certainly beautiful, even in the dark, but I wouldn't call it exciting. Just then, there was movement in the sand, like a little bubble of sand rising up. Then there was another little bubble and then another, and it looked almost like the beach where they were looking was boiling. Then out of one of those little bubbles of sand popped a round shape. Looks like we got here just in time, said the bat. As they watched, more and more shadowy shapes came up out of the sand, and soon the child realized what he was seeing. Lots of baby turtles 
hundreds climbing out of the sand. It was truly exciting. Once each turtle shape pulled itself up out of the sand, it started crawling as fast as its legs could carry it towards the water. When baby sea turtles hatch, said Owl in a sort of teacherly voice, they need to find their way to the water, and they almost always do it at nighttime. Because to find the water, they need darkness everywhere to follow the moon and starlight reflecting off the water. Daytime sun is too bright and scattered everywhere. Oh, said the child. As they turned to leave and head back towards the child's home, Owl spoke again, as if thinking aloud to herself. You know who else loves the darkness besides all the nighttime plants and animals? The moon and the stars love the darkness, and they can really shine. Oh, sure, they're there in the daytime as well, hidden behind a wall of light. But when that wall goes down with the sun, the stars and moon reveal their beauty. After a very short time, the child and owl left the forest and walked down a street that the child recognized as his own. He was very happy and relieved, but also a little sad to say goodbye to Owl, to whom he gave a very gentle hug and a thank you. He went into his own home and being extremely tired, got ready for bed right away. Before he went to bed, as a matter of habit, he bent down to turn on the nightlight that he always kept glowing through the night to keep the dark at bay. But before his fingers touched the switch of the nightlight, he smiled and pulled his hand away. He got into his bed, pulled up the covers, and let the comforting arms of darkness soothe him to sleep. Thanks so much, Casey, for that great story. I invite us now into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. But today, I am particularly mindful of our connection to the natural world on what is World Wildlife Conservation Day. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. Thank <clears throat> you. 
And now we begin our time of meditation. I suggest you begin by stretching and then settling your body into a position where you can rest at ease. Wiggle around if you need to. Tense and flex and then relax and rest. As you close your eyes or soften your gaze, let your thoughts become still and take a full, deep breath. And then another. As you continue to breathe, think of moments you've experienced when life suddenly and mysteriously lit up or perhaps dimmed into darkness and reminded you of the marvel and preciousness of being alive. Now reflect on how that moment lit you up, moved you from a feeling of the same old, same old to a feeling of dancing with the sacred. How might you bring that experience of wonder into your life more regularly. We continue our meditation in silence and the music that follows. Thank you. 
Today's reading is a series of excerpts from The Art of Being Yourself, a TED Talk by Carolyn McHugh. There are individuals who've managed to figure out the unique gift that the universe gave them when they incarnated, and then put that at the service of their goals. When we see these people, we invariably call them larger than life, which always makes me smile, because how could you be larger than life? Life is large, but most of us don't take up nearly the space the universe intended for us. We take up this wee space around our toes, which is why when you see somebody in the full flow of their humanity, it is remarkable. They're at least a foot bigger in every direction than normal human beings, and they shine 
They gleam, they glow. It's like they've swallowed the moon. Now, your job is not to be anything like any of those people. In fact, your job is to be as unlike them as you can possibly be. Your only job while you're here on the planet is to be as good at being you as they are at being them. That's the deal. When it comes to being yourself, when it comes to being in the world, the minute you showed up, you were given a life sentence. Now you don't know how long you have. So what I want you to think about is not what your life expectancy is, but what do you expect from life? And what does life expect from you? Those are more interesting questions. Gandhi was getting on a train and the journalist called after him, Gandhiji, Gandhiji, what is your message to the world? And Gandhi turned around and said, my life, my life's my message. And your life is your message too. It might not be as big as the message at Gandhi's, mine certainly isn't, but your life has to be your message. Otherwise, why are you here? It's not like you've got a spare. So when you think about your identity, when you think about it, what it means to be alive, when you think about why you des deserve to exist, you're not your thoughts because you think them. And you can't be your feelings because otherwise, who's the you that feels them? You're not what you have, you are not what you do. You are not even who you love or who loves you. There has to be something underneath all that. What I want you to think about is with every passing year, your job is to be better and better at being who you already are. This is not a cosmetic exercise. You're already different. Your job is to figure out how and then be more of that. I'm now delighted to have Casey come back to the platform this morning. can't say that I love it getting dark at 5 p.m. This is not my favorite time of year for brightness outside. I can't say that I love the dark all the time. It does make me sad to not see the sunlight so much, to get to what feels like it should be just a normal part of the day and instead feel like it is the middle of the night. But there are things to love about the darkness. There are things to love about this time of year when it becomes dark so early. And not none of those things are lights. I 
love holiday lights. I don't care what your impetus in putting them up is. I don't really care what the lights are. I like that they're there. I like that they're bright. I like that people have decided to come up with something creative and put it on their house. I like that about Halloween. I like that about the winter holidays. I like that about the middle of the summer when we think that fireworks are the best thing on the planet, though I have some other feelings about fireworks. I like the way that the dark encourages people to display themselves, to brighten up the night. I think we need to be careful about thinking about the dark as bad. So let me be clear, the dark is not bad. The dark and the cold are really good times to investigate ourselves, to look at the world a little differently, to go to bed a little earlier than we might when the light lasts until the evening. It's a good time to rest, to be with family and friends, and to think and reflect about who we are, what kinds of light we want to share with the world all year long. Now, you might be looking at the title of this platform and thinking that what I'm going to talk about is resisting doing too much. That's a fair assumption. I often, in December and January, talk about the need to set down some tasks, to let yourself have a season where you rest before returning to full force doing things, but it's not actually what we're going to talk about today. Today, I'd actually like to encourage you to do too much, not to fill your schedule with too many tasks, not to overwork or overextend yourself, but to do too much as in be yourself fully in a way that is perhaps outside of conventional norms. There is a difference in this context between doing too much and doing too much. I'm asking you to do the latter. Doing too much as a phrase is African-American vernacular English. It comes to us from black communities as a way of saying, I'm flexing, I'm stunting, I'm showing you how brilliant I can be. And I don't care what kind of mediocrity you expect from me. I am doing too much. A different way of saying it is talking about being extra. I'm pretty extra. Caitlin is pretty extra. We are dressed kind of intensely at all times. I need you to know that Caitlin goes to the grocery store looking like this. I need you to know that Caitlin this week went to the farmer's market in a rainbow wig, a rainbow striped sweater dress, rainbow heels, and people couldn't stop commenting on it. Being extra is a way of saying to the world, no, I'm here and you're going to handle that. I'm this person and that's going to be okay. 
being extra can be a way of cultivating wonder in the day to day. About using your day to day life, your body, your presentation, the way you hold yourself as a way of saying, this is good. It is good to enjoy your body. It is good to enjoy your life. It is good to be a person in whatever way it is that you happen to be a person. Being extra is related to the queer concept of camp. How many of us are familiar with camp? Okay. Camp is sort of an overwrought performance. Uh, Drag queens do a lot of camp. You find camp in a lot of classic gay films, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, et cetera, et cetera. So these big and performative, very in-your-face kind of presentation, that's camp. Now, it would be weird for me to suggest that everybody be loud and in your face all the time because that's actually not who everybody is. And that's a lot, a lot of work. But I wanna suggest that you think about and try to be yourself as loudly and visibly as possible. Whether yourself is a multiply marginalized person or somebody with almost only dominant identities because the way you are being yourself matters, right? We've talked in recent weeks about people's feelings about their own genders and wanting to just get to be a woman or a man in the way that they are a woman or a man. And claiming that in public, that makes space. That says, there's this story that tells you who you have to be, and I say no. There is liberation for all of us in each of us showing up how we are. Another related concept is gaudiness. One of the things I want us to think about this month is how gaudiness can be good. It can be really great to put on the most decorative clothes you have, to say, forget that, to the idea of proper dressing. And to just try being a little sparklier than we usually are. Now, my relationship with gaudiness is kind of particular. Years ago, my sister bought me a pair of earrings for Christmas. They were about this big and full of gemstones. I loved them. And after my sister had left, my dad said, I knew you would like those earrings. They're your style. And I said, what exactly is my style, father? And he said, uh, gaudy? And that could have been heard as an insult, but it was true. My personal style leans in the direction of gaudy. And that's okay. That's who I am in a theological ethics, creative theological ethics course I took in seminary, 
we discussed the concept of wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi is something you find discussed in Japanese art. It's this idea that worn things are beautiful. And I agree with that idea. Some of the things I find most beautiful are things decaying and in disrepair. I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Cleveland. The world I'm from is dying. So there is beauty in that, certainly. But in the conversation that happened in this class, there was this agreement among my classmates that what was authentic was only that which was worn. What was authentic was only that which looked natural. I looked around the room at my classmates, mostly dressed in flowy, earth-toned things. You've seen it. It's like UU minister uniform, right? And then I looked at myself. And on that particular day, I was wearing hot pink tights, a teal dress with polka dots. My hair was purple, and I had giant hoop earrings in. I might have been wearing this necklace. And I said, so that might be your authentic self, and that's OK. But my authentic self looks like this. So what does that mean for what we believe about authenticity, that you believe that authenticity looks like one thing? What does it mean that when you want to construct what it means to have an authentic presence, you think of somebody else? You think of someone else's thoughts about how you should dress, what kind of art is pretty, what kind of buildings are pretty. We had a pretty good conversation from there. But the point really is that however is right for you, is a right way to show up. One of my hopes for this community is that we can be a place where we practice showing up as our whole selves, where you feel like you can wear whatever outfit you want to come in on Sunday morning or any time you're in this building, where you feel like the self that you are the things that you are called to do, the things that your heart sings for, no matter what they look like, are valuable. Where you can do too much, however too much looks for you. Where you can find friends and community who support you in trying new things. Maybe, You've been afraid to dye your hair. And you find a friend who can tell you how to do it. You find a senior clergy leader who can tell you how to do it. Maybe you want to try out a new way of existing in your body. You want to try new pronouns. You want to try a new name. You want to try dressing a little bit differently. And you can find someone who you can trust to say, hey, would you use this name for me? Would you try these pronouns? Could we go shopping together? 
what do you think about this sweater I want to buy? Right? And have someone say, if that makes you happy, do it. If that brings you joy, lets you feel comfortable, do it. The first time I went to a all ages UU summer camp, I was overwhelmed by how free the children were. These were middle school and high school age kids and younger, but the middle schoolers and high schoolers really impressed me, who dressed how they wanted, who walked around in pairs and trios and quads, hugging and loving each other and not really worried about what anyone thought it was, who showed up to business meetings and contemplative spaces alike as themselves advocating for what they need as if they knew they deserved it. This is not what being an adolescent was like for me. I didn't get the chance to meet myself until I was mm, out of college. And as I learn and grow more, I realize that even getting to meet myself then was lucky. That many of us live whole lives, never letting ourselves meet who we really are because of somebody else's stories about who we're supposed to be. Working in a hospital, I would often meet, particularly with women, who would say, oh, I love your hair, but I could never do that. And I would say, why? Oh, well, and usually, I'll be honest, the answer was my husband wouldn't let me. I found this terrifying. And so I would have to kind of push my terror down and say, well, it's your hair, isn't it? It's on your body. Yeah, but he would hate it and he would get so mad. Okay, well, you have to make the decisions you have to make, but you can cut your hair and you can dye your hair. You can do a lot of things. Your husband is not actually in charge of what you look like. Most of us here probably don't feel that kind of pressure. It would be surprising to me if there were a lot of men around here trying to force women to look particular ways. We do seem to have moved on from that thing. But you might have in your head a similar creature. We talk sometimes about the cop in your head. This is kind of like that. This is the uh, fashion guide in your head, which you have absorbed from years and years of existing in a society that says, wear things that are flattering. Flattering means that don't draw attention to you and make you look thin. That says, don't stand out too much. That encourages what's left of your teenage self to get really worried about what everybody around you thinks and to maybe just try to look normal. Now, obviously what I'm talking about isn't just about clothes, isn't just about presentation, 
but presentation can be a big piece of it. So I want you to think about if you move past the cop in your head, the fashion police in your head, the showing up as yourself police in your head. What is it like to be yourself out loud? To tell people who you are in how you dress, how you talk, how you show up in a conversation. To be like those UU teens at a summer camp and love how you love and advocate for yourself and the people you love openly as if you know we all deserve it. What is it like to let yourself be extra? To let yourself be gaudy in your care for the world? I don't have an answer for all of you. I only have an answer for me. For me, it looks a little bit like this. For Caitlin, it looks a little bit like that. It might look all kinds of ways for you, and they are all beautiful and good. I hope that you will take this season of darkness as an opportunity to look inside to get past all the barriers that exist in your day-to-day -day life, to rest and see what lights shine inside you, and to let them shine in the world brightly and in collaboration with each other. I hope you can take the time to feel free, to be extra, do a little bit too much. May it be so. Shortly, we will have our community response time, which is a chance for folks to share what resonated for them in this platform. Um, and you might prepare for that by thinking about a personal experience or an experience here at Wes. And in the meantime, while you're reflecting, we can listen to the response music. This song is by Peter Mayer.
feeling that gaze down below I pulled a car up on the This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates with our personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come to the microphone here on the floor, but please keep your comments brief so that others may also share. And this is a great opportunity to be extra if you're not normally extra here at Platform. And if you regularly speak, please make sure that there's space for that to happen. I'm gonna start by reading some initial Zoom comments. Oops. 
So there are some appreciations for loving the story and the reading. Maceo says, I've had about 20 years of being adjacent to the LGBTQ community. It started through public health work I was involved in. From being up close, I was very impressed with the bravery of their community members to create their authentic self when the world look at, looked at many of them as being too extra. As I work hard to determine my more authentic self, I greet my queer family with a thank you in showing us how to do it. Perry Bider says, I'm either I'm already doing too much or I have no idea what it would mean for me. I don't know which. So Maceo adds, and to KC, I'm watching and my black Baptist roots were calling me to scream, preach Pessa, as we do when messages hit us personally. We've, we'd often leave church and be like, oh, that sermon had my name written all over it. Paul Baker says, there is a viewpoint that words don't convey meaning. Statements such as are a speech act intended to produce a result in the listener or reader. True or not for words, how we dress or present ourselves is like a speech act. It produces an effect. But what effect? Shy people like me just keep silent. And he also adds, oh, I should thank people who aren't shy for adding color. So let's switch now to those who are in the hall. If you'd like to come forward to the mic, you can take off your mask while you're at the microphone. Please start with your first name, your pronouns, and share with the collective. Hi, I'm Morgan. I've been coming for a few months now, I guess. She, her, hers, Aya. Um, I'm an assistant principal at a DC public school down the road. And um, so this really resonates with me. I hear a lot from my students that, oh, Ms. Hall, you were doing too much. Ms. Hall, you were so extra. And I think it's a big part of my job to be big. And I think that it makes them feel safe to be themselves. Um, and I think part of what I wanna keep thinking about is as a white cis straight leader to a black principal and to students of color, when is it also my time to be small? so that they can be big. The mask always rides up on my glasses and gets them to fall off. It's annoying. Uh, Jeff here. Uh, Casey, I really liked uh, your platform uh, on about three separate areas. Uh, one is, uh, and I want to be sure I, I heard the concept correctly, that it's wabi-sabi. Not wasabi, that's something else altogether. Okay, that's also extra, yeah, boy. Um, yeah, then I think what I would highly recommend, uh, as I did before the platform, you need to go to Baltimore. And particularly, you need to go to Baltimore by train if you're looking at decrepit buildings. Um, there are quite a few of them on the way up there. Um, but I always try to imagine uh, particularly one that I, the train passes on the left-hand side as you're going north. Uh, it's the Acme building, a four or five-story factory building that is now almost completely covered in vines and ivy. Um, and I always thought that maybe when Warner Brothers stopped making cartoons, they, there's no more need for Acme products, so they went out of business. 
Um, and the second part I would recommend again, I'd recommend to anybody uh, between now and um, beginning of the year is the Miracle on 34th Street in Hampton, where it's a block of ordinary Baltimore row houses and they're all decorated for Christmas. And of course there are the traditional ones, uh, the ones that are completely covered with Disney characters, uh, but there, there's also the one, as I mentioned to both you and Karen, which was the nativity scene consisting of doors. Uh, there is a guy who does metal sculpture. He has a Christmas tree made from old automobile hubcaps. Uh, he also had the, uh, instead of Santa and the uh, reindeer, it's Santa with crabs made out of hubcaps and crescent wrenches. Uh, and instead of jingle bells, it's cans of Natty Bow and Old Bay seasoning. Uh, so definitely go over the top. And it also reminded me of an argument that Betsy and I, her mom, would have every Christmas because her mother was was raised as a strict Methodist and, and they don't really seem to have a lot of fun. I, I don't know. But it always, well, we have to listen to the Messiah and we have to be very serious. And, you know, this is the day, it's the birthday of our Savior and we have to respect that. And to me, Christmas is not Christmas unless I can have the um, Ellington Nutcracker Suite. If I can have uh, the Spike Jones and his city slickers singing all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. And who can do without the barking dogs? I got to ask you. I'm Laura, her, she, her, hers. This platform brought to mind two things for me. As you can see, I'm not as big as Jeff. And as I neared my 80th birthday, which was a few weeks ago, I was having sort of an existential crisis of what am I supposed to wear? How am I supposed to look? I'm gonna be 80. When I was growing up, 80 was old, and I really struggled with it. And what I came up with, it's what I've always worn. <laughs> the second thing is that there's the outside, but there's the inside of us as well. and. I have been realizing over the last bunch of years, as an example, my, my exuberance, my giddiness, my excitement. I get really excited with people's birthdays, even my own. So six years ago when my grandson and his wife announced at Thanksgiving dinner that they were pregnant, I leaped out of my seat. I ran over to them squealing like a little kid hugging them because I was so excited. And there was this little, little voice inside of me that said, that might not be so appropriate. I mean, nobody else is doing that. I do that a lot. And I'm gonna do it more because I want that part of me out there and to be shared with you. So it's not just what's here, it's what's in also. Thank you. I was telling Laura what a pleasant 
change it is to be pulling the, um, the mic up. Um, so Abby, she, her, and um, I, I found myself when I was in my 40s at work noticing that I was literally the only woman in my work group with gray hair. And so the, the being true to myself in terms of appearance largely has been about not dyeing my hair as it happens. Um, but I, what I really want to speak to is um, the comment that Miss Hall was it made about um, leaving room for others. And I'm saying this as one who speaks often, that uh, the way I think about it is that um, I choose, when I choose to step back, I don't do it because I'm expected to be quiet. I do it because I genuinely want to hear what other people have to say and what other people will do. However, I will say that, you know, as a woman brought up in our society, I am often encouraged to step back. And, and there, I don't know, there's a balance there. There's no perfect like thing you can do, right? But it feels better for me to, um, to make that space not out of minimizing myself, but out of really caring to hear what others want to bring. Eric, they, them, and uh, oh, there we go. Um, a my experience is that a lot of uh, a large part of my experience in general society is that the uh, nail that get, that sticks out gets pounded down. And so I do not have tiger striped dyed hair. I've considered it several times. I think it would be fun. Um, but uh, I think it would also uh, stick out at work. And I can't, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just shave my head and I'll wear one wig when I'm on camera at work, and I'll wear another wig other times. Um, but having, uh, it's important to protect the things that uh, we need to protect as well as to uh, show who we are and not every audience uh, deserves to have every part of us uh, displayed. You know, in, in my case, for example, most places I don't write my pronouns. Because again, if one of my subordinates at work who is very opinionated in one direction realized this, he would have more problem listening to me. So I just keep quiet. But so when you can do it, enjoy it.
Thanks to everyone who has shared their thoughts and perspectives and particularly bringing up the nuances of speaking out and making space and um, being authentic and practicing safety. Um, all those things are crucial and important and valuable and uh, good for us all to practice together and support each other in that endeavor. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, we're sharing half the offering with Bread for the City, whose mission is to help Washington, D.C. residents living with low income to develop their power to determine the future of their own communities. Bread for the City provides food, clothing, medical care, and legal and social services to reduce the burden of poverty. They seek justice through community organizing and public advocacy. They work to uproot racism, a major cause of poverty. And they are committed to treating clients with the dignity and respect that all people deserve. So if we can take a moment to prepare to the invitation to generosity. For those who are able to respond, there are several options. As you can see on the screen, the number to give by text is 202-335-1885. You can also donate online via tiny.cc slash westgives or by going to our website, ethicalsociety.org, and clicking on Give. Of course, you can always place cash or a check in the basket at the back of the hall on your way out, or send a check by mail. Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music from Quincis Moriera. Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. 
staff members in Dora Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton, interim music coordinator Leah Morris, and our entire platform production team, which includes the tech team members, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, in-person greeters, and virtual coffee hour host. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and on the patio or for virtual coffee hour via Zoom. First, though, I want to mention a few things upcoming in the life of our community. If you didn't already sign out an ornament from our Giving Tree last Sunday, you can do so today. Each one is labeled with a gift designated for someone served by the Purple Stars Foundation DC, which seeks to enrich lives and bring hope to people affected by homelessness, or for El Rodeo, our sister community in El Salvador. Gifts purchased for the Giving Tree are due by Sunday, December 11th, so that's next Sunday, either here or at the home of Genevieve McDowell-Owen, who is also the person to contact for more information, and I think we'll probably be back at the table in the lobby. Um, if you're looking for that special gift for someone special in your own life, you might want to check out the new official West merchandise at www.bonfire.com store slash West. And there you can find t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, and a whole rainbow of colors and sizes. And by doing so, you can raise money for Wes and raise awareness of Wes all in one very cool garment. Our Global Connections team is planning their trip to El Rodeo for July 2023. Teens and their families are encouraged to start thinking about it early and to be in touch with Ross Wells or Susan Runner for more information. And both of those folks are here this morning if you'd like to talk to them in person. Planning will be fully underway in January and they're hoping to get flights booked early to help keep costs low. And grown-ups are also invited to that uh, expedition to our sister city. Uh, finally, a quick reminder that Wes's Sunday Ethical Education for Kids or SEEK program is looking for more volunteers, parents or non-parents to assist in the program that helps our terrific young people become more fully who they are and are meant to be in the world. You can email Indara at ndaram at ethicalsociety.org to find out how you can help. And in the spirit of being extra and doing something too much, uh, our upcoming winter festival will be on December 18th. It will be a platform time uh, presentation this year, and there are lots of opportunities to participate in readings, in helping to set it up, in pulling banners, in lighting candles, all kinds of things. It's also a fabulous day to come gaudy, so put that on your calendar and be prepared. That's it for today's announcements, and as always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or the news and notes emails and on the calendar page of Wes's website. Thank you all for being part of Platform today, whether in person, via Zoom, or watching later. And I invite you to join in our closing song, What a Wonderful World. Thank you, Perry, for this wonderful idea. And thank you, everyone, for singing the song of the month together.
So a few last reminders before we leave. If you are new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. For those who wish to socialize online to reach our virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment to wonder, bringing our whole selves, honoring the fullness of one another, and opening ourselves to awe in our quest for a better world. Thank you again for joining in today's platform, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Have a great week.